Ah, peace in the storm. How many of you have been through a season of your life that was kind of stormy, and when you finally got through to the other side of that storm, you were able to breathe a sigh of relief, and you felt so worshipful because you thought, wow, there's finally this conflict that was unresolved is now resolved. Doesn't that make you just feel so good, and it makes you feel worshipful? Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to be teaching us about today in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to camp right out in that passage today. So if you want to just open whatever form of the Bible you got it in to Philippians 4, we're going to look at that today. Uh, I robbed this off the internet thanks to a post by November Fries, who happens to have an interest in this sort of thing because she's an engineer, after all, and she appreciates when people do things well and it's pre-planned, and they know that they have taken into consideration all the stresses and strains that can happen. And this is a house that withstood, just about a year ago now, the Hurricane Michael, which buzzed through the panhandle parts of Florida. And there were two communities in particular that got hit really hard, uh, Panama City and Mexico Beach. And this house was in right, right in the path of that awful storm, but it survived. As a testament, a testimony, a testament to people who are planning ahead and built things really well, that storm did an awful lot of damage. They're saying now that the estimates are up around $11 billion worth of damage from this one storm. And $6 billion of those were for some fighter jets that were destroyed on Tyndall Air Force Base right down there. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. So what's the secret to surviving a storm like this? Well... You could think that I'm about ready to preach a sermon on building on a firm foundation, which is true. You need a good firm foundation, but there's something different about this foundation that made this house so resilient to the storm. They actually built some breakaway walls on the first story and built the rest of the house above the storm surge level so that when the storm came through, the winds battered, the waves battered, but those breakaway walls did what they were supposed to And they took off and allowed the waves and some of that water to just pour right under the rest of the house. Now, clearly, there was some damage. They were going to have some cleanup to do. They still had some rebuilding to do, but not nearly like those that were just devastated all around them where they were completely wiped off the face of the earth. So being able to rise above the storm, you see where I'm going with this now? Being able to rise above the storm because of our firm foundation is where Paul is going. And so I'm using this as kind of a jumping off place analogy so that we can get into some things related to what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4. In Jesus Christ, we're not just restrained, we're changed. Let me explain that. There are some people who can think, okay, if I just pick up a good self-help book from the library or from Borders Bookstore or from Amazon, it's going to give me some good techniques, and I'll be able to withstand the storms of life because I'll be able to build up resilience, and I'll be strong in my human strength, and I'll be able to just... Hold back the storm. And Paul says, nope. (laughs) That's not what he's talking about. We can't just have a morally restrained heart. We need a completely changed heart. We need to be completely remade at the moral core of who we are through the Holy Spirit. And that's what allows the Christian to rise above the storms. We can't just grit our teeth and say, I'm going to be strong enough. When the going gets tough, I'm going to be tougher. It doesn't work that way. We need a changed heart, not just a restrained heart. We still are going to sustain some damage. All of us are going to 
go through some storms that are going to result in some pain, and we have to work through that. That's a part of the grief process, all of us. But we can stay standing like this house did without nearly as much to have to rebuild. So let's look at this passage, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote, and we're going to unpack it a little bit. Starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, he says. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed my, your concern for me, because they had sent him a gift while he was imprisoned. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it, that is, at first. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I can do all this through him who gives me the strength. This is the word of the Lord, and we'll ask him to reveal what he has in store for each of us. I've shared with you my New York experience where God had called me, I felt, I really believe he called me, and I was responding to what I hoped to be his call, to lead a parachurch organization it's called Neighborhood Bible Studies. And we lived in uh, Sleepy Hollow, New York, in Westchester County. It's a very puh kind of a county. And uh, it was much more expensive than I expected when we were out there. We rented just one floor of a house. We rented a flat. It was 1300 a month. And that was a long time ago. So we were kind of scraping by, trying to do the best we could on a minimal salary. And toward the end of my tenure there, I realized that the bills were going up and the income to the ministry was going down. And I didn't know if we were going to survive or not. So it was a very stressful, tense time for me because I felt like I was failing the job that I was in and I was failing my family. And I didn't know which way to turn. But what I realized is that that unresolved conflict was something that I was building into my own life by what I was thinking about. And finally, I went out to coffee with my pastor, Bruce Boria, and he asked me a great question. He said, so what is it that you fear the most? I said, well, that's a good question. Because <laughs> I had a lot of fears that I was just whipping up in my own mind. But I think the biggest one was, I said, I fear that I won't be able to pay our bills. We're going to lose the ability to have the house we're in, and we'll be homeless. I guess that's my biggest fear. And he goes, <laughs> no, you won't. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you remember the body of Christ. And because of that, I could name right now, sitting at this table, six people in our church that already know you and they love you. And we'd only been there for just less than a year. He said, six people, they would gladly put you and your family up. 
They, if we did a, a month at a time, you could go six months in a row, and then they'd swap and start over again. You'd have a full year without any trouble. You'll have a roof over your heads. You won't be homeless because you have a home in the body of Christ. He said, what else do you fear? And he talked me through that each time I would come back, he was giving me eternal perspective by showing me what it meant to be a follower of Christ as opposed to merely a member of the world community. And it changed my perspective. And I started to see God working in my heart and my life. He was transforming my heart, and I realized I needed that transformed heart more than just being able to fight against the anxiousness, the anxiety that was building into my life. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. So let's look at this. We're going to look at Okay, that was Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. That's when I was running through there during a rainstorm on my way home one night because things were, had gone bad. I'd thrown my back out because I was in such stress. I'd been to the chiropractor. I had to walk six miles home from Ossining, and then it started to rain, and then I really felt bad, and I had to run through this cemetery thinking that the headless horseman was going to come around at any moment. And then I got to the gate. The gate was locked, so I had to go back around the North Dust, the, the Dutch church there and find a little opening in the gate and crawl over that. It was a wrought iron gate, and there's lightning going on, okay, wrought iron lightning. And then I got next to a big tree, and this huge limb that was bigger than me came and fell right in a muddy hole right next to me and splashed mud on me, and I was just lucky that it didn't fall on me. And I got home, and I was just pouring myself out to God, and I was saying, God, I need help. I can't do this anymore. And that's when he spoke to me through the Psalms because he said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Nothing had changed about my circumstance. I was still in the same job. I had not resigned from that job yet. I still didn't know if we had enough money coming in that month to meet our bills, much less make our, our payments for the, the house we were renting. And yet I felt this weight lift off my shoulders. And I knew that God had somehow supernaturally started to change my heart and I trusted him and knew that it was going to be okay. But clearly, God had his hand in all that. I didn't know it at the time. I was frantic. I was just doing everything I could to try to just muscle against it in my own strength. And that did not work. And it was not until I surrendered to him and looked into his word and let him speak to me that I finally got that transformed heart. So now we're going to look at that. The origin of this kind of peace The disciplines of peace, because there are things we can do, because Paul says that we have to practice what he has told us and shown us to do. He said, what you've seen me do, practice that. Do that too. Put it into practice. And then the secret of peace, because he gives us a secret in this passage as well. Paul's ability to have this peace, did he say that he was born with that peace? No. He didn't say, you know, fortunately for me, I had good parents and I have great genes and I was just born with the ability to stand strong in the face of adversity. What does he say in verse 11? These things I have learned. They are learned practice. And I think that's good for us because there are some of us that would look at other people and it's easy to make comparisons, right? I see people like I saw my pastor back in New York. I saw Bruce and he seemed like he was always just sort of a rock. And he was solid in his faith. And I thought, how come I'm so nervous and scared and I just feel like such a failure? Well, I wish I could be like him. Well, of course, I find out later Oh, no, I've not always been a rock as well. And there have been times in my ministry and in my life when I was just at my wit's end. But I have learned to put into practice some of these things that Paul is talking about. And so, like I've said, he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. We're making tiny little incremental baby steps. And sometimes we look like the stock market, you know, our ups and downs of life. Hopefully, the overall mean is going to be going up 
as we're getting closer to looking more like Jesus Christ. But sometimes we have big dips in our lives and in our walks, even with Christ. And that's okay. Because God sees where we are and he's going to lift us up from where we are if we're facing a storm. So what's the opposite of peace? What would you think that might be? Turmoil, chaos, anxiety, all good answers. That's what we experience when we don't have peace. But how can we get that? We're going to look at that. Verse 6, he says, so don't be anxious. And If we could just quote this and make it all, it would, wouldn't that be great? Just put it on a coffee mug. I'll look at that every morning. Don't be anxious about anything. Okay, thanks, God. I'm not anxious anymore. I wish it were that easy. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Okay, that's a good start. That's the aim. That's where Paul wants us to go. Uh, think about the guy who said that and what he was going through. He gave this wonderful illustration of some of the things that he'd been through on his journeys. Remember what he had been through? Shipwreck, snake bite, beatings, imprisonment, being shunned even by his own Jewish heritage people. I mean, Paul had been through some stuff. And so what do we have to, to worry about? Oh, I'm anxious because I don't know if I'll be able to get this test you know, done very well. I want to study for my test or... or uh, this date that I have coming up or the fact that I don't have any dates coming up or whatever the thing is that we worry about. I mean, we worry about finances. We worry about the, the people at work that just drive us crazy and I I'm, don't know if I'm going to be able to maintain this relationship and I want to. Okay, you already see some comparison here. Can you see that there's some perspective just even in looking at Paul's life? He was looking at big stuff in his life and some of the stuff that we're worried about Sometimes it's not that big. So part of what we can do is just merely do a little comparison game, go into God's Word, read about people, and see what they were really up against, and it kind of shrinks our problems. And we think, okay, God, I'm sorry for being all whiny about this because my little problem doesn't seem so big anymore. In verse 7, there's peace in feeling or being protected. Paul says that. The peace of God which transcends all understanding, which rises above the storm, will guard your hearts. We're protected. And your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a military word. It means setting a garrison of soldiers around you to protect you. Imagine God surrounding a garrison of soldiers around our lives when we're saying, God, I need you to guard my heart. Because I recognize that because of the anxiety that I've got going on, there's stuff going on in my heart that I don't like. There are things that because it's in here, it's coming out here in my mouth, and I don't like the way I just behaved. And I, I want you to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Pastor Bruce had asked me the question, what's the worst that can happen? That's not a bad question to ask. Because if we put that in perspective with where we know we are as followers of Christ, well, in some cases, we got martyrs that say the worst that can happen is they can kill me. And if that's the case, I'll be in heaven. So they've done me a favor. So if we really start to think about the big things of life, think about biblical doctrine, think about the teachings of Paul, the teachings of Jesus Christ, what's the worst thing that could happen? We'll go to heaven. Is that a bad thing? Absolutely not. Clearly, that's not our intent. We don't want to go there tomorrow, hopefully. But by comparing what we've got going on and asking the big questions, it's okay. Secondly, the disciplines of peace. Okay, we looked at that origin of peace, which is Jesus Christ, the disciplines of peace. Whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, we're going to have the discipline of our thought life. Thinking takes practice. You ever notice that? Thinking takes work. Some people don't understand what hard work thinking can be, but thinking takes work, especially if we're going to redirect our thoughts from something that we've been thinking about 
toward thinking about that list that Paul's talking about. We put into practice what Paul said he had learned along the way, which means we have to start developing some habits to help us think that way. Now, notice this is not the absence of negative thoughts. As I was a kid, I remember the little Sunday school song, Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful. You know, and it was all about not hearing the bad things, not seeing the bad things, not doing the bad things. It was all about not. And Paul says, no, I'm not telling you to suppress the bad, like trying to build a house against the hurricane. I'm telling you to refocus your energies on focusing on the good. I want you to think about the big things of life, to be thinking about the doctrine, to think about all these things in Scripture that will transform your heart and mind. By doing that, all of a sudden we realize we're not spending time thinking about those other things anymore. It becomes a replacement, but it's a positive replacement. Rather than just suppressing, we're transcending. We're rising above it by focusing on the good things. Here's an inner thought. This is just to me, practical application of stuff that we all deal with at times. Oh, God. I fall short so often. I'm such a failure. You know, we become Eeyore. Oh, my. Well, if we're going to disagree with what's not true, if we're going to start thinking about what is true and noble and excellent, Paul says in another book, Romans 12, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Who gives the grace? God does. All of us as believers have been given a gift, which means... There is something that every single one of you can do and do it well because God has gifted you with that thing. So we have to disagree with that inner thought that says, oh, I'm a failure at everything I do. That's not true. You need to discover what it is that God's gifted you to do. And as you start serving other people and building up the body of Christ and helping others and doing the things that God has gifted you to do, you start to say, oh, I guess I can do a few things. It's because God has gifted you that way. Here's an inner thought. It is 100% that other person's fault. Isn't it easy to just paint that broad brush stroke and say, they're the bad guy, I need to buy them a black hat, and I'm going to buy myself a white hat. And I'm going to get up on my white stallion, and I'm going to ride off into the sunset, because clearly I need to be vindicated because I'm the good guy. <laughs> and they're the bad guy. We do that, don't we? It's the old beam in our own eye versus the speck in the, the other person's eye. Here's something that we need to know. So we can disagree with what's not true. All of us have sinned and have fallen short. All of us. Which probably means if there's a relational conflict between two people, hey, guess what? It's a very good chance that both people have some responsibility in the dynamic that has started to occur in that relationship. Which means you can say, God, help me to own the stuff that I need to own and help me to forgive that which they need to own, even if they don't own it. Inner thought. Oh, I can't possibly help other people because I'm just such a mess myself. Haven't we felt that at times? There have been a few seasons, even in my ministry life, when I get home, I preach just a stinker of a sermon. It's one of those, and I'd wallow in self-pity and think, oh, God, I, I really need to do something else because I can't possibly help others with that. You couldn't possibly work in that sermon. Inevitably, the ones that I think I've just messed up the most. And then I get somebody that will text me later that afternoon to say, Pastor, you said something. I think you even said that it wasn't in your notes. It was a little aside. It was a little parenthetical note. That was for me. God spoke to my heart through that parenthetical note. And I just throw my hands up and I say, well, there you go. God, it's not about me. 
Whatever I do, however mess, whatever kind of a mess I'm feeling like, God can still work through me because God just does good things. He takes those messes and turns them, turns them into great stuff like we learned about last week. And God uses broken vessels. That's the truth. Just look at Paul, the guy who had asked three times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. You need to live with that for a while. Jacob walked with a limp. Some leaders walk with a limp because they have something in their past that continues to haunt them. But it also reminds them to stay humble and to stay connected to God. Because otherwise they get puffed up and start trying to do things in their own strength or take credit for what only God can get. Here's another one, the discipline of thanking. Now this is one that I've got to admit, I'm being candid with you, I don't always succeed in this area. And God is still working with me on that one, but I'm trying real hard. For example, in all things, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We do the opposite usually, don't we? God, I really pray that you will eliminate this conflict from my life. And then when it's finally eliminated, then we go, thank you, God, you did what I asked you to do. That's when the thanks comes. Paul says, nope, we need to start immediately, even as we're making the request known. But what are we thanking him for? Is that wishful thinking? Are we doing the name it and claim it thing? Well, if I just thank him for it, it's bound to come true, right? Or should we say, thank you, God, for seeing my need and for meeting my need in the way that will do me the most good? I think that's the right situation. For example, Back in New York, I was praying for a long time, and I was struggling with this. God, help me to succeed in this job. I can't be a failure. I just can't. My reputation will be shot. It was all about me, right? Who cares whether I succeeded or not? I just wanted people to think nicely of me. That was the pride that was growing in my life. And I was saying, I need you, God, to help me succeed in this job. And God is patiently sitting on his throne going, nope. (laughs) Nope, I still need you to learn a few things about your character that needs to be transformed, but I'm also going to show you that I'm going to give you the answer that you need because I've got a better answer than the one you're asking for. And so not only did they hire the right person to take my place and I resigned from that place and the ministry is still in operation to this very day, 26 years later, God knew what he was doing, but he put me back where he needed me to be because he knew that I was a shepherd at heart and I needed to be a pastor in some local churches. So my prayer, Lord, help me to succeed in this job, was not the right prayer. The right prayer would have been, God, answer my need in the way that you see best, and I trust you for that. Whatever you choose to do next, I'm okay with, because I know you've got this covered, and you can see down the road a lot farther than I can, and you're going to show me that you're in charge, and you can succeed through me in whatever role you put me in. Another one, I did this one twice, in college. I was driving around one night, coming back from the east side of Phoenix. It was a 25-minute drive back to the west side where I lived, and I was thinking, oh, God, that was a good date. And she is, she, well, this girl is just pretty, uh, well, she's pretty. <laughs> and, and I would really like it if you could work this one out, because I kind of feel like she could be the one. Oh, maybe she's the one. Could this be the one? And I, I was just praying. I said, but God, you're the one who knows better than I do, but I really want this. You know, and I just wrestled with him in this conversation, this ongoing conversation. Come up with somebody at the stoplight. They'd see me talking, you know, to somebody. That was before Bluetooth. So they just thought that I was kind of, you know, oh, uh-oh, and they'd drive away. But you know what? In both instances, both times when I was praying that stuff, God's, he's up on his throne chuckling again. He goes, Nope. <laughs> No, if you only knew what I have in store for you, dude, you would chill out. 
And so he had to wait until finally this lady from, young lady from Michigan went all the way out to Arizona to go to college because her grandparents lived there and she got a voice scholarship. And that she was in oratorio, had this gorgeous alto voice and this hair that just went from there to there. And I was sitting in the, the tenor row in the very back looking at this hair going, oh. Wow. And then she would turn around and I'd look at my music and... God knew what he was doing. Here we are 40 years later of marriage, and God knew that he was going to supply me with the person that, the only kind of person that would put up with me through ministry this many years was joy. And so he had to say no to those first two in order for joy to come into my life. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. This often gets thrown at people. Because that's the catch-all again. We just want to put it on a coffee mug and give it to them and say, life's going to be okay because God's working this out for your good. Yeah, but think about all that Paul had been through for him to be able to say that. And it may be that we're still going to be going through a lot of that storm and we're going to have some walls that will break away and get washed away. Some of the parts of us that need to be washed away because they don't look like Christ yet. And then we'll rise above the storm because we're on that firm foundation and it eventually, hopefully, finally, We'll get to the point where somebody will say, aren't you glad you went through that? And I've actually heard people say, I look back at this awful time in my life, and I said, I wouldn't be the person I am today in Christ had I not been through that. Thank you, God, for that storm. Wow, that's perspective. I want to be able to have that perspective in life so I can look back even at the awful times that I've suffered and say, God used that. He even used that because he was doing something profound and permanent in my life. And here's the secret that Paul gives us. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Escapism. I'm going to go play video games all night long, and I won't have to think about my problem. I'm going to go and smoke marijuana all night long and all the next day because I will get rid of the feelings that I don't want to feel. Or I'm going to drink myself into oblivion. No, Paul didn't write any of that. No. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in every and all situations, and it's not escapism. It's not burying your head in the sand. It's not being unrealistic about the bad things that are happening. That's not healthy. He's not saying that we're supposed to be glib about the awful things that happen in the world and to just, we're rising above it. I'm going to smile through it all. That's not healthy at all. He's saying, yes, be realistic about the bad things. Embrace the pain if you have pain coming into your life. Feel it. The feelings are there for a reason. But even as you're doing that, you know that I can do all things through who? Through Christ who strengthens me. NIV says through him, but he means Christ. And several other translations use the word Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This, again, is not a coffee mug verse. It's not meant that if you go into football and you weigh 75 pounds, that you're going to become a linebacker because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not going to work that way. He's saying that even as we persist through the trials and the storms of life, God will give us the strength through Christ to be able to weather that storm and come out stronger in the other end. The world's approach is different than the Bible's approach, than through God's approach. You can go to any bookstore Sometimes I still like to go and smell the pages. You know, usually we read stuff online these days, but I really like a good book. And if you go to Barnes and Nobles or whatever, you can walk around and, and pick up the self-help, self-help section books, and they'll all be about techniques. 
It'll all go into these same things. You've got to learn how not to complain, learn how to write lists of things that you're thankful for, learn some breathing exercises because that'll calm you down. They're all about technique. They don't say, think about the big questions of life. Ask the questions like, why am I here? What's the meaning of life? What is God's purpose for me? Does he have a purpose and is he working a purpose even through this trial that I'm going? They don't want you to go there. Why? Because they think that's going to bring them strife and anxiety. Paul flips it around and goes, that's exactly what we need to be thinking about. If we tackle the big questions of life, if we're asking, God, what is the meaning of suffering? Hey, now you're onto something. Because if you get a good theology about why suffering is allowed in the world because of sin which entered, and God had it perfect, but now it's imperfect, but it's going to be perfect again because Christ came to make it so that we could be reconciled to him, and he's going to come back again, and he's going to restore everything to its original glory. Hey, now we're on to something. Now we've got perspective. Now we can weather the storm because now we are thinking about the big things of life. So Paul says, think on these things. Don't think about just technique. Now, some of those techniques are okay. You know, that's all right. Hey, you get more oxygen to the brain, do some breathing exercises. That's cool. If you feel like doing it, okay. But Paul says, don't just do the techniques. Don't just look at the world's advice. Think about the big questions. Look at what God says in his word and gain perspective. And then you can start to have that wonderful foundation that will help you rise above the storm. The breakaway walls will get torn off. The surge will go through you, but you'll still be, I'm still standing. So the two things, these two things that we need to be thinking about, thinking and thanking. Think about these things that Paul told us about by diving into his word, by hanging out with other people who do, by listening to YouTube speakers or whatever, if you need to, do, to learn that way. Put some good things in your mind. Don't just check out and not think by doing escapism, but think about the hard things of life and then thank him. But thank him in a way that doesn't say, thank you for the way I want you to answer my prayer. Thank him in advance for answering your prayer the way he knows you need it to be answered because he knows what's best for you.